Hi, Brandy. Hello, Josh. How are you? I'm good. Cool. Um, this is the second episode of my podcast, Ideas Are Bulletproof. What do you think of the title? I like it. Cool. <laughs> what would you What would you possibly, if you were to come up with a podcast name, just exploring the ideas of what you know about yourself, what would you possibly call it? And the name of the podcast is meant to describe me? No, not necessarily. And I think the thing is, is that I was struggling with trying to come up with a topic uh-huh. on what I wanted to talk about. And I had no idea, no clue. So yeah. That's why I went with ideas or bulletproof hmm. was because, uh, what was it? The other day I was looking at some stuff online. I'm part of a photography group and there was this, uh, person who ended up posting a picture and it was a picture of a woman with two or three balloons behind her and she was floating above water and this woman basically said she's like this needs to be removed she's like this needs to go away i don't agree with it i'm offended and i was like just because someone's offended about something doesn't mean that they have to censor someone else's art you know censorship i'm entirely against censorship i think that ideas are permanent and that ideas themselves should flourish, whether I disagree with them or I don't. So that's why I went with the podcast is Ideas Are Bulletproof, because I want to talk to people about things, and I also want to like explore different avenues of myself and other people as well. You know, So that's why I went with Ideas Are Bulletproof. And there's also a story behind it with uh, V for Vendetta. Mm. V for Vendetta, when uh, the guy, I forget his name... Uh, says to him, he's like, why won't you die? And he's pointing his revolver at him and he ends up shooting him. And he says, underneath this, there's more than flesh. Underneath this mask is an idea mm-hmm. and ideas are bulletproof after he unloads his clip. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Really great. By the way, great, great movie. Absolutely great movie. But anyway, so enough about that. So how are you doing? I'm good. Cool. How's your week been going? It's good. I've been sick. So. You've been sick? Yeah, I think everybody's been sick. I've been... So I came home uh, from climbing earlier and dude, I was coughing all over the place and like I went to cough on my sleeve and I just had this like huge thing of like phlegm just fucking come all over me and I was like, oh, it's fucking disgusting. It's gross. You had a huge piece of phlegm come all over you? Dude, yeah. Do you understand the sexual undertones of that? I do now. <laughs> I do now. You know? That's um, okay. I sent a text message to somebody last night. Um, I was supposed to go climbing with them, but they, they bailed because they were sick. And I realized that I'm slightly attracted to this person. Ah, and ah, I realized really? that I had written in there. I was like, oh, it's a bummer. I would have really liked to be coming with you. <laughs> <laughs> when I met, it was autocorrect because I was using, I was trying to do climbing with you. But thank God I re- reviewed the text before sending it because I would have been basically been like, bummer. Oh, I wish shit. I could be coming with you. <laughs> You can just like that. Well, like the thing is, is that a bunch of my friends that I have that are like super comfortable with themselves. I'm just like, dude, we just all we talk about is just, yeah, we talk about like genitalia. You know, all my, you know, my friends, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty outlandish people. Um, but what I wanted to talk to, what I wanted to talk about today is, uh, is climbing. That's what okay. I wanted to talk about today. Uh, 
So can you go back a little bit and explore how you first started getting into climbing? Because what I want to do is I want to, I love it. I love everything about it. I think it's possibly one of the best things I've ever gotten into. Um, one of the best things that I've ever, I enjoy doing. Um, the people in the community are fantastic. Um, can you kind of give a little bit of history on how you got involved in, in climbing, like where it started, what motivated you to start doing it? Yeah. So I decided to finally start climbing after I went through chemo. It was one of the three things that I made a decision to do if I got to live <laughs> from cancer. So uh, it was number one or two on the list of things to do in my second stage of life. But initially, about 10 years ago or more now, about 14 years ago, um, I had a really good friend of mine who was into climbing and I had always admired that this person and I felt that climbing was just something that I wanted to experience in order to overcome fear of heights. And so actually like 14 years ago, I had my first climbing class and I did great. Uh, it broke up my relationship, excuse me, my actual engagement. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little bit more than a relationship. Um, yeah. I couldn't really, I realized that I couldn't trust my partner that I was climbing with at the time to catch my fall. So what do you mean? On top what do you mean? So for people that are listening, what do you mean by catch a fall? So you're, if you are the climber, your belayer, the person who's controlling the rope and slack and feeding out, depending on what type of climbing you're doing, is the person that's going to essentially catch you if you fall off the rock. Um, and so... Do you mean like with a mitt or... You know, like, <laughs> with the rope, they're yeah. going to have a... They will be monitoring the rope, which is the monitor of the rope. Monitoring of the rope is going to be what catches your fall. Mm -hmm. So, you know different types of climbing like there's top rope lead climbing um and trad climbing all require different levels of um awareness from the belayer and so i was doing the most basic of climbing which was top roping and i was i had i was zooming up this wall and having a great time and the instructor reminded me that I had to let go of the wall. And I realized in that instant that I was not comfortable uh, letting go of the rope because I just didn't trust my my You didn't trust to, the person, yes. below, which is an extremely important aspect of climbing is that you need to be sure that the people you're climbing with, that you can trust them. Right. It's a trust-based yeah. relationship. <laughs> yes, yes, which is why I don't climb actually with uh, certain types of people anymore, but that's a whole, that's a, you know, that's a whole different story. Um but top rope, uh, could we kind of paint a picture for people that have never gone climbing before? So top rope is what they mean by top rope is that there's a, there's a rope tied off somewhere up top. And as one of the climbers go, all you do is you take the slack out, excuse me, you take the slack out of the rope. So the person falls, they're essentially safe, right? So they're only taking like, maybe if, if they don't take any of the slack out, they're taking a considerable fall. Right. Um, but with lead climbing, lead climbing is the reason why they call it lead is because one of the climbers is going up first. Um, there's different derivatives of lead climbing. Um, traditional traditional climbing involves, like lead climbing is, is, it encompasses every art of climbing. But it, what it means is that there's a leader 
and then essentially the person coming up from behind is going to be the the following climber and that's what they mean by by lead climbing right that, like the lead yeah. climber is setting the rope yeah. for anybody who's following yeah and that's exactly. true of traditional uh aid climbing which is placement of gear as you you climb up a wall uh or in bolted lead climbs where the bolts are already provided and you clip in a draw which is a carabiner on a piece of nylon rope there's a carabiner on one end and a carabiner on another end and you clip one into a bolt and you clip the rope into another to the other end and then top rope is basically like you said there's a rope system but it's the rope is already set up for you uh, through an anchor at the top the anchor obviously is anchored to the wall and receives most of the impact from the fall but the rope system essentially goes above the climber rather than with the climber. Yeah, because back in, did you know actually the first um, technical climb was conducted in New Hampshire? Did you know that? I did not, but in, I'm also not surprised. Yeah, it was uh, It was actually over at Huntington Ravine. It was in 1910. The first technical, first quotation technical climb was considered um, or sent in 1910. It was actually in New Hampshire. It was uh-huh. ironic. I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah, Huntington, Huntington Ravine. The Shire. Yeah. The hidden yeah, I know. climbing history of the, the hidden, Shire. Quiet, don't tell people that there's yes. climbing in New Hampshire. Quiet, Although every quiet. climber in the world, well, that's an exaggeration. Every climber in the United States has a significant amount of respect for New Hampshire climbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's the thing is that I go out, I went out west uh, when I went out uh, ice climbing at Ure. Uh, I just got back from Ure about um, a week and a half, two weeks ago. And the people out there... Man, they're some of the nicest. They're some of the nicest people, but every person I talked to had been to New Hampshire. Every single person that had some experience and some devotion to the sport had been to New Hampshire before. Yeah. And what they were saying was, is that New Hampshire's this kind of. It. They said that it's a different respect because, like you said, it's this small little kind of crown jewel. Everything's really small, but even Technical. if you're, yeah, even if you're doing the same style of roots it's this small kind of area that's just i don't know i'm still trying to fight the urge to move out to colorado but i'm not sure if i'm going to because i don't know new hampshire just has this kind of like really small town kind of type feel to it you know mm-hmm. i don't know um i mean and i and i kept mentioning remember how rob kept trying to get us to go ice climbing mm-hmm. all those times it's actually really not it's really ice climbing is is it's it's different because it's like a, it's like starting all over again with climbing. And I think that that's what the appeal to me was, was that starting all over again. Like, I forget what they call it, the, the, the screaming barfies or something like that, yep. where your hands are so fucking cold. Dude, my hands were free. Oh my God. I experienced it and I was like, holy fucking shit. Well, yeah, this, it's, it's more yeah. than your hands just being cold. The, it's coldness combined with blood being, yeah. um, pulled in your low, in your chest area, not in your hands, essentially. So when you, when you are done ice climbing and you go to shake out, like it's what we would consider shaking out on climbing, when you put your hand back down with gravity, it's the blood returning to your cold, numbed fingers and forearm yeah. Yeah. that provides the screaming barfies. Yeah. And like, this guy, John, I had actually met out there. He's a fantastic guy. Um, he actually is from New Hampshire. He's, this is, so we know the same people. You know how I told you I went to school for physical therapy for a bit? Mm-hmm. He knows the same people that I do in the physical therapy world. And I was like, dude, no shit. How, like, you know, you know this certain person's name? He's like, yeah. And we just, it, it's, dude, it's a, a small, small yeah, it's a fucking small place, right? Um, 
but he comes out, he comes out. Um, and this is, this was a Saturday is our last day for climbing. Um, and dude, we, he was going over the different holds on how to properly hit ice and how to use, you know, your feet. And, you know, you don't have to smack away at the ice every time, you know, just if there's a, if there's a, a pocket already where you can take the tool, you don't have to keep smacking it. If it's going to stick, it's going to stick. And the thing that scared me a majority of the time was that knowing I have this super sharp thing in front of me and I like, I, I pull on it and I'm like, if this thing comes back, I'm always, I'm like afraid it's going to take my eye out. Not just you your know? eye, but cut your rope. Yes, yes, and so <laughs> that's what I, one of the things I'm afraid. I'm like, well, dude, I'm very uncoordinated, and I have sharp objects yeah, on my feet yeah. and on my hands. Yeah, dude, and so my friend Becky, that was taking pictures, um, I told her I wasn't going to look at her pictures. I'm sorry, Becky, I ended up looking at your pictures, and there were these these um, photos. Uh, it was the competition photos that um, these people are doing. It's the, these competition shots, right? And these people are holding the ice axes in their mouth and what they need to do is they need to go up this uh this they call it dry tooling where they go up and they just like they're using the tool to climb just rock with no ice yep, and that's I've what they call it. yeah that's what they call dry tooling well as they come up to this section it's like this big box and what they need to do is they need to traverse over I'll 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 ask Becky if I can show you the pictures after I've because seen it. dude yeah it's Fucking well, not the, your what, competition pictures. Well, but that's I know what, what I mean. Is yeah, to. the competition pictures are fucking nuts of seeing what these people are capable of doing because they have to they have to essentially like reach out behind them and then they have to like bring their dude. It's it's fucking weird. Like th- these people are almost trapeze artists with mm-hmm. these with these ice axes, you know. And it's insane to know that there's these people that are this dedicated to it they had they had speed climbing speed ice climbing out there it was insane it was really cool it mm-hmm. was really cool to see um but the appeal of ice climbing to me i don't know if it's it's a lot of money it's a lot of yes. money involved and i'm trying to get into trad climbing and trad climbing is it is a they call it traditional climbing and it is a derivative um where you as you're going up the actual mountain you have these things called cams or nuts or bolts and you essentially put them into the rock and that holds your that's your protection that's what you use to ascend you know it's removable gear that is supported or stationary because of the friction yeah that that gear produces with the rock yeah and you have to learn how to sling like use a sling or extend certain types of things because you have to be wary of like the angle of fall and all these types of things and you have to be comfortable inside your head to know that you're going to be able to make it there and so my philosophy is, is that I'm so addicted to just training for climbing that what I want to do is I want to get super strong in it before I decide to devote all the money to. Well, it's funny climbing. that you said earlier that ice climbing is kind of like relearning to climb. And what I've experienced going from top rope to lead to trad is that it's, it's the same idea that you are relearning each time how to climb because you're doing something different. Like movement on the rock is the same in theory, but for example, most trad climbs are hand cracks. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of difference in movement when you're climbing a crack rather than a face. Um, There's also with lead climbing, you know. What do you mean? What do you mean a face? Can you When you're climbing the face, when you're doing a face climb, you are essentially climbing toe holds and, and edges and, and 
um, handholds on a face of a, a wall that does not follow a crack in the rock. When you're crack climbing, you're following a crack. And frequently there are no holds or toe holds to the right or the left. Or if there are, it's very minimal. And your primary way of climbing is wedging your hand, fist, fingertips up to your full length of your body into a your crack. head, you know, no, yeah. I'm just I mean, don't, well, do, off wits you're climbing and it's like half your body that you're yeah. climbing wedged in a crack. Um, I've seen that video of Alex Honnold where he, Alex Honnold's a, a very famous free soloist. Um, that's known in the climbing community. He's actually got a film out right now called free, free solo. Um, but he's actually very, um, well known for his other records that he has, you know, speed climbing, all this kind of thing. And that's one of his things is that he actually has a video where he, he gets his leg stuck and he takes this fall. And I thought he was free soloing cause I didn't see the rope in the video, mm-hmm. but then he comes down like 40 feet because he's wedging his, his knees and his hands and everything in these really long crack climbs that he needs to get, you know, and he's like, climbing on his forearms and stuff it's 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 weird well that's an entirely different way of moving on a rock oh yeah it's an entirely entirely different way of placing your hands between like fist grips there's a way to wedge your hand there's ways to wedge your toes into the crack i mean it's an entirely different way to move um but yeah so each type of climbing on a rock changes with each method that you're using and there's also different styles of rock too is that I've climbed on granite, like mainly here in New Hampshire, we have like sedimentary or sediment granite kind of, um, I saw the term, yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw the term the other day, but it's really, it's a really nice kind of type rock to climb on, Mm -hmm. you know, um, going out. It can be. It's also very sharp. Yeah. Yeah. And some climb, yeah, some climbs you start out, I, I have to tape my hands or I have to stick clip. Stick clipping is when you have your first clip, um, when you're sport climbing. So if you fall, you don't. You don't fall 15 feet and possibly break your ankle, which I've done before. Um, I didn't break my ankle, but I decked out. I, I fell about 12 to 14 feet, and good thing that there was some nice snow and leaves on the ground to counteract the fall. So usually, uh, if I'm going to be doing a sport climbing route, that's a little questionable for me. I make sure that I have at least the first bolt clipped so that I can memorize the movements up on the rock and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's different types of rock, even in, out in El Dorado, when I was in El Dorado Canyon, it's sandstone out there, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different form. Um, and that's why sandstone's dude, really fragile, dude. Yeah. There's so much different, and like, easier to grip. Yeah. Like that's why I'm interested this year to go out with, um, a couple of our friends to the gunks or to, to learn trad climbing is that grades, grades are so subjective in climbing, you know, like you have to. You have to factor in the different areas. You have to factor in like. Why go to the gunks yeah. to learn trad when you can, New Hampshire's well, famous that's, for its trad climbing? Yeah, I know New Hampshire's famous for its trad climbing. But what I mean is that I want to go out there and just have fun. You know what I mean? I just want to. I, I don't want to learn trad climbing out there necessarily. I just want to make a trip out there with someone that's willing to, you know, go and possibly lead a couple of routes mm-hmm. and see what the gunks is about. Because, yeah, I hear I hear different I hear different stories about it. Yeah, well, like, so for those listening that don't know this, climbs are graded. Um, The United States has one grading system. Europe has another grading system. And within Europe, each country has a different grading system. Um, In the United States, we go from, I think that it's a a 5.5 would be your 
5.4, 5.3, 5.2 are almost um, grades that you can literally, you have, you should use a rope because it's safer. Absolutely. Don't ever go climbing without a rope. That's not what I'm saying. But you could, in theory, walk up these, hmm. um, basically standing up. I have seen people do that. Um, and then as the grade increases up to 515, I think um, we have Jaws at Rumney, which is a 515 sport climb. That's a pretty intense, steep climb. It's pretty hard. There's only a few handful, few, a handful. There's only been six, climbers. six or seven people that have ever climbed Jaws. Right, and yeah. there's only a handful in the world that can climb five fifteen at five fifteen. Um, but each one of those grades is set by a root setter and confirmed by following pe- climbers who have sent it clean, sent the, the climb clean without taking a, a rest or anything like that. And so in each area in the United States of climbing, <clears throat> while they use the same grading system, the grade is subjective to the climber that set the route, as well as to any climbers that have followed. So if you have an athletic elite climber um, climbing a 511B and you have a beginner climber that's just muscling up the 511B, they're going to have a different experience of that 11B mm-hmm. or 11 or 12 or whatever the grade happens to be. So grades are very useful guides when learning to climb because if I go out and I'm learning to trad climb on a 5, I think my tr- first trad climb was a 5.8, my only trad climbs thus far, you know, that's a pretty significant grade to start at, um, but it was yeah, a most, subjective 5.8. Most, most people, when they start trad climbing, they're starting at like 5.6, five, 5.7. Five, they're learning placement. Yeah, and, the, and this, one was, this one was a 5.8, but I didn't just go out. And s- some people who trad climb just go out and place gear and hope it doesn't rip when they fall. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so a little sketchy. I, yeah. I wasn't that person. I went out uh, and rationally I don't, climbed uh, yeah, it. I don't, well, I don't think I would want to be that person either. <laughs> so, um, so I went out and, you know, I went with my guy, with my guide and he set the gear. I analyzed where he set the gear. Then I came down and, cl- and cl- uh, cleaned the gear out, but top roped the climb and placed the gear as I went up, went up so I could get comfortable with the stance and everything like that. And then I went up and I led the gear that I had placed to make sure um, that I felt comfortable climbing it. And then I cleaned the gear a second time and then climbed it as a trad climb. So I placed the gear as I went. Now, was this in Red Rocks, your first No, this climb? was at um, Echo Crag. Echo Crag. Yeah. Maiming the Shrew. I'll never forget. <laughs> how did, so how did, so how did, my you, memory. how did you, were you scared shitless when you were doing it the first time? Like your first trad climb? No. And I would have been had I followed like, the irrational route of just placing gear and hoping that I don't fall. But my goal is to not fall. So mm. given the fact that I'm I'm a really new climber, generally speaking. Same here. Yeah, same here for me too. And, I've only been climbing for about two and a half years, going yeah, on two and a half years now. And yeah. at that point, I have been climbing at about a year and three months. Mm-hmm. So, Dude, you dive, you dive. You know that you dived right in. Yeah. You, you, within, the first, within the first four months of you climbing, you were already like leading shit. That was like, took me a year, year and a half for me and Alex to really start leading. I mean, because we would have these stints where we would just what they call bouldering. And bouldering doesn't involve any gear. It just, you have your shoes, 
your chalk bag to dry your hands in and a crash just, pad. Yeah, in a crash pad, and all you do is you just literally what it sounds like because it's a boulder, and there's a there's a few sequential moves, whereas like a typical rope route can have anywhere between like seventy five to two hundred feet of all these moves, where bouldering requires more power and strength, so you compress that. 75 to 200 foot route into like five or six moves and that's the one of the distinct differences is that it requires a lot more power and strength but when you start getting into the higher climbing grades that's where you start to see those you know those boulder kind of there's a um there's a conversion chart that people usually look at in their progression with climbing you know so like a v0 would be would be new but anyways um i think a v0 is rated at a v so bouldering grew out of the need for big wall climbers to become more gymnastic on the rock. And Mm -hmm. that occurred between the fifties and the sixties with a particular climber whose history was gymnastics and he applied gymnastics to climbing and his last name started with a V and I don't remember, but that's how we got V V one V two V zero, that type of stuff. Um, He decided that he was going to start um, using smaller rock boulders to help train his muscles more dynamically and to utilize his gymnastic history his gymnast history he was a gymnast first and so bouldering requires uh is much shorter in theory although there's now high ball bouldering which is like Mm -hmm. 40 plus feet i guess yeah high ball bouldering is Stupid. It's not. It's not looked down. Yeah, it's not. It's not look. It's not looked down upon. But the thing is, is that me and Alex. Why did you just put a rope on? Dude, if you're going to be caught well, in forty like, feet, why did you just put a rope on? <laughs> dude, you need. You need. Yeah, there's a mix. There's mixed opinions on high balls because me and Alex just did our first high ball uh, last year in Patuckaway. It was. A, it's actually a really easy route. It's uh-huh. not bad at all. But, but you're soloing. But dude, that you're point. you're fifteen to twenty feet up, and if you fall, it's kind of that thing. Like there's no going back. Like right. you can't. Like once you commit to this move, again, it's a really easy climb. But it's getting over the nerves of being so high. Yeah. But I think with anything, some people get so comfortable with being up high. I think I was like, we definitely needed, we definitely needed way more fucking mats than what we yes. had because we only <laughs> had one mat that's designed for like twelve feet. For those of and you you're who like are thirty feet up, like whoa. One of the key components to bouldering safely is called a crash pad or a bouldering pad, which is a very thick, heavy-duty pad that's placed at the bottom of the boulder that is allegedly going to prevent you from getting injured. Footnote, all the major injuries in climbing occur primarily in bouldering. bouldering. (laughs) Like like about every injury I think I've seen um, actually at our local climbing gym has been from people bouldering, you know, and it's... And the other major incidents of injury occur on the descent of climbs, regular climbing. Uh, People get done with their climb, I'm safe, woohoo, and then they start descending. And a lot of that I don't think really occurs out in New Hampshire as much as out west. Like I, when I was climbing out in the Red Rocks. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about next, but continue. Oh, so when I was climbing out in Red Rocks, descent specifically off of olive oil, which was my first multi-pitch, was terrifying uh there was a i got up through a multi-pitch which is pretty high with like four or five pitches multi-pitch question mark um so multi-pitch is when you are climbing an extended route that is so high that you have to build or anchor into already placed anchors um anywhere between 
at least once. So a multi-pitch a, could be two roots. So yeah, two sixty. Usually it's like two sixty feet. Yeah, and an roots. anchor. An anchor is something that you're essentially clipping into the rock with, so that you're not moving. So you're like yeah. I mean, an anchor yeah. can be a lot of things. So in trad, you're building anchors with pla- placing gear. Mm-hmm. So well, some trad climbs have placed have actual bolted anchors. Bolted anchors are just they can be anything from like. Um, couple d rings that have been placed in the rock to actual perma draws that are there for the use of the climber or anchoring can be bringing up and this is what it usually is on multi-pitches especially trad multi-pitches bringing up different static lines and building a a an anchor from gear that you place and so a multi-pitch is having at least one of those anchors on a climb um because you're root is at least 120 feet or so yeah because the way that the way that i'm perceiving it is that if someone's listening to this and they're like anchor question mark you know there's a lot of climbing jargon that i try to um explain to people yeah you know what i mean an anchor is designed to to basically for lack of better word anchor Anchor a layer in the climber to a permanent spot on the wall um and and they have they have devices that you that you clip into uh, yeah. to keep you to keep you stationary into these into these anchors or into these the, these pre pre-bolted uh, things and what I mean by what we mean by bolts is that people will literally go up and drill into the rock and then they take a brush and then what they do is they they blow all the kind of um, rock dust out and then they apply this glue around this bolt and then they just let it sit for 24 hours and it essentially doesn't move you know mm-hmm. it's gonna it's gonna be good for some people say forever, you know, but most most people say that the shelf life of these things is going to be usually twenty to thirty years because nothing depends on the 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 amount of people that are climbing on it, and okay. it also depends on the elements and all these all these other things that that go into certain um, types of bolts. But uh, when you're doing most most climbing in New Hampshire, they have some. Some of them have bolts. If you're doing a lot of stuff out west, there's usually actually there is a lot bolts. of the climbs in New Hampshire don't have permanent anchors. A lot of the climbs that Rumney do, but Rumney has yeah, been developed for that. Yeah, because see, that's why I'm I I mainly like I would say like 99% of the climbing I do outside is at Rumney because right. I'm I'm mainly a sport climber, you know. So I'm only going to be doing one pitch. I'm only going to be climbing, you know, maybe like a 13 or 14 draw. Uh, quick draws which you plug into the anchors and the the root is already is already established already yeah it's already been established and how you determine yeah and how you determine your athletic your athletic feats in climbing is that remember back to the the grade progression we were talking about is if it's like okay you know i'm i've been i've been climbing for about you know maybe two or three months and i start in the beginner roots which are like five eight five nine now i'm I've been climbing for two and a half years now, and I, I really want to send a couple five eleven C's outside this year. And you know that's how you progress as you train, and you know you look at these these books that people have, and it's got all the different grades that you can climb out at Romney. And I just I love the aspect of of continually training for it, you know. And, mm-hmm. and some people get some people get their their fix, you know, their quotation fix, you know, from from trad climbing and the the skill involved and the mental acuity that you need to have in order to to place gear and all that stuff you know there it's it's just people there's different approaches there's different philosophies to climbing people have different things that they enjoy mm-hmm. you know like people even people that ice climb people that trad climb people that aid climb where you're you're pulling on gear putting gear in in cracks and you're you're pulling on it and stuff um 
but yeah, there's different, there's different philosophies to climbing for sure. Um, but getting back to Red Rocks, I want to talk to you about what was that like when you went out there? Uh, Red Rocks was quite an experience for me. I was... Uh, Red Rocks, Arizona. Yes. Right outside of Nevada. I mean, right outside of Las Vegas. It is in Nevada. Um footnote when you go to las vegas you're in a canyon Mm -hmm. (laughs) and about four miles away from the strip is this gorgeous um land that you can climb there's a ton of climbing a lot of people have been moving out there uh, there's thousands of routes out there um and it's of course one of the biggest draws because it stays climbable for throughout most of the season i think it snowed a couple times while we were out there because i was in february but um, one side of the mountain was wet, one side of the mountain was dry, and you just had to find the crag that you could go to that was dry. And we went out, the crowning achievement for me, although I did a lot of sport climbing, I did a little bit of bouldering, one day of bouldering. Um, and then I did, I did some sport climbing, and then I did some sport multi-pitching, but the crowning achievement was my multi-pitch that I did. I did not lead it. I was, um, but it was a trad multi-pitch. Um, it was fantastic. It was a great, it was an amazing experience. Um, it was the high, the, like technically speaking, it was not technically, but specifically speaking, it was the highest type of climbing I have done. It was over like a hundred and something feet of climbing. How big was, uh, how big was your group you were with? It was two, um, two partner groups. So four total people, um, my friend, Joe, his wife, Lori, who also was my friend, my friend, Matt was my lead climber and myself. And I came up last. Um, and it's a really popular route. It's a classic for many reasons. Very, very amazing climbing, easy climbing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had already easily climbed much harder stuff in new England. Um, in the sense of like the, the, technique that is required to climb it mm-hmm. um it, but that you, wasn't what you... the goal the goal was to get up this massive mountain and that is what the mental now did you notice a difference was. in how you had to adapt your technique a little bit yeah frankly it was easier to climb in red rocks it's much easier to amass the 511s and 512s and higher grades at red rocks because it's just the it's it's an entirely different experience and a lot of climbers um, say that different parts of Red Rocks, um, the climbs are either are either sandbagged, meaning the root setter believes it to be easier than what the regular climber feels, um, or they <laughs> the grades are very easy out there. Mm. So a lot of the sport climbing grades are very easy, allegedly. Um, I, I am not pronouncing any judgment on that. And a lot of the trad climb out, trad climbing out there is much more difficult. Again, not passing any judgment. It's so subjective. Yeah. It's so subjective. So subjective. I mean, it's just something people discuss. Also, New Hampshire climbers have a tendency. We climb on hard granite that tends to be very technical. A lot of the trad climbs and the multi-pitch climbing in New Hampshire is, is slabby which is just a, a, di- a, t- a different style of climbing that requires a lot more control over the body. And it is harder on the body than um, any other type of climbing I've found. But 
yeah, if you come down, you fall, you're gonna you're right. gonna get a little scraped you up. Get cheese grated. Yeah, you're gonna get cheese grated on that fucking granite because it's yeah. like little sharp crystals just yeah. going over your body. So yeah. when New Hampshireites go to other areas and climb on this beautiful, lovely, dried up rock like sandstone, and they've got these gorgeous Wacos to use and it's an entirely different experience and the climbing is it's fun you know whereas the climbing out here is always challenging regardless of what grade you're in um it's always hard rock always hard rock i i have really sensitive fingers and so it's always a challenge for me um duration time climbing my hands get torn up on the rock out here not at red rocks i didn't have a single problem at red rocks my hands hurt more climbing indoor than they did out at red rocks i could climb all day i did climb all day multiple days in a row and it was like my hands are like awesome and it's you know they weren't a limitation at all but um the different there's a lot of differences but red rocks the climbing in red rocks is also set apart by the approach and the descent so the approach is the actual hiking that you do into your, your crag to your to your route and then descent is the actual coming off of the mountain um if you're not repelling how, which is how, also how, considered how, percent, how far are these hikes usually well olive oil was an hour and a half hike mm-hmm. to like distance wise what do you mean uh, distance wise a couple miles uh i would say it was a cu- i would say it was no more than four miles um and that would be a high estimate I, I would say it was somewhere around three miles but the last half a mile of it was bouldering uphill Mm-hmm. So that's when you get into your scrambling, your rock scrambling in class four, class three, class two, class two grade scrambling. There was a lot of like uh, loose, loose boulders and stuff, little sketchy sections maybe? or No, it wasn't that it was loose. It's just uphill, half a mile of climbing of bouldering, mm-hmm. like liter- literal bouldering. I was bouldering up doing, I was doing rock moves on these, the, on scrambles. <laughs> nothing, but, nothing, but, nothing but like, not, not your climbing shoes on, but like your, your nope, approach I, shoes. I yeah. had, I had approach shoes on, which is knowing, knowing me, I'd, knowing me, I would, I'd have like fucking sandals on, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's definitely something that you can do. Um, I was going to go, I, I was of the opinion that I was going to go out there and I wasn't going to need approach shoes. And then I went out there and I went now to one like, crag hmm. and I was like, I need to stop at a uh, climbing store and get some approach shoes. Did you end up getting some? Yep. They're right here. (laughs) They're my evolves. Oh, so that's what they are. Um, But no, I definitely, the client, because you, because basically an approach shoe is climbing rubber on the shoe, for those of you who don't know this. And therefore, when you're scrambling up rocks like you are for half a mile to get to this, this, to get to the beginning of your route, um, you need that extra grip. It's important. You will fall. It, 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 there were plenty of times when I thought I, I did fall on the descent coming down, um, which it wasn't a bad fall. I was, I was kind of tripped and it was towards the end. But so, you know, we, we did this half a mile of rock scrambling to get to the route and then we get to the route and it was, it was an awesome route. And there was a few moments. It was tall. It was the tallest route that I have yet to do. And the reason why I got into climbing was to, you know, essentially master my fear of heights. And so this was an intense mental challenge for me. And truthfully, I the first pitch um, didn't really, I was going to say it had the most exposure, but it didn't. The first pitch, I was trying to get a nut out and it just wasn't coming. And I it was my first real 
a nut is a is a placement that you put in the in crab. There are different sizes, and you you. It looks like a nut. In, yeah, you wedge them in. It's a piece in, of metal. Yeah, it's a piece of metal. You wedge in the cracks. Yep, and the yeah. way that you wedge it determines how you, much force it can it can um, absorb when you, if you fall, but it also determines how you can get it out. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I was really struggling with this nut on this wall and I was really getting angry because I was really afraid. I had never struggled so hard. I'd never really cleaned did you have a gear. Did you have a nut removal tool with you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I ended up having to bail on it. And thankfully, we had a couple other climbing groups behind us and we ran into them at the top and they were like, nope, we all tried to get that out and it wasn't. And I was like, okay, I feel much better because that meant that three three other people, people tried. in my group yeah. and then three other people behind me all tried to get this nut out. So it wasn't just a beginner's curse. Like I just literally, uh, Joe really wedged that thing in there and it went, it was, <laughs> it was not moving. I think it's permanently affixed to the wall now. But um. There was only that one moment and it was really, that moment was the scariest only because I was frustrated for multiple reasons and I just got control of myself and climbed. And once I got into the climbing and I just kind of went with the flow and each anchor that we built, because it was a trad anchors that we built, was on a ledge and the ledges were wide enough for me to sit there with my feet hanging over the wall and really take in, while playing, of course, mm-hmm. my surroundings and really appreciate where I was at and just kind of absorb the impact of being on a wall in Red Rocks, being alive. Because, you know, a year prior to this, a year prior to this, this visit to Red Rocks, I was ending my final treatment of cancer, mm. chemo. So it's, so, like a, it's like a, it's like an anniversary it was an anniversary visit and it was the most alive I had felt in that past year, which is one of the reasons why I love climbing so much. And have you ever actually like be done a route and you just kind of like just take it in? You yes. Know? Every time like I climb. Every, every time. Every time I climb nothing, when I get to the top of the nothing. Route, I always make my blair hold me there for a few yeah. seconds because the whole yeah. reason for me to climb is to see the view. I love it. You know what I did one time was I was, I had the same, I had this same appeal. I was like, man. I was so happy this year when I was at Rumney um, and I was working on endurance with a couple climbs with my sport. My, you know, I wanted to um, increase my endurance for sport climbing, right? And I had my friend Andy and Alex and we went to this place called Bonsai, which is my, mm-hmm. one of my favorite styles of that area. It's a jug hall where you're just going up and relying on a little bit of power and endurance in order to get up. And I, I, I tucked, I thought I had tucked my phone away in my pocket and sent this route perfectly clean oh, no. and I was so happy and then I just was like and I was like oh I'm so excited oh shit That's I fucking awful. left my phone down at the and I, I just actually, was like fuck this dude like I'm I'm just gonna appreciate this you know so I was I, on the third pitch of um that I was at the third anchor the final anchor prior to um sending this olive olive oil so I was on the third pitch and I was belaying. I was the last person to belay. And I look over and there was like a bighorn sheep because they, they climb rock. Yeah. And I was like, it was just me and this bighorn sheep looking out over this massive canyon, this vista that was just breathtaking. Those fuckers can climb, man. Yeah. They well, they those. also can die. Apparently, <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe goes, yeah. I was like, I got up <laughs> yes, to the top. Yes, and I was, that too. I was telling Joe, I was like, I figured if... If a big horned sheep could climb this without rope, I'm good. Yeah. And he was like, "His." That's what I kept saying all the way up. And then 
at the end of our climb, he looked at me. He's like, well, I didn't want to tell you about this, but there's been a couple times where I've found their carcasses at the yeah, bottom of a mountain. Dead sheep like, just chilling at the base of it. And I was like, you're like, yeah, can that. you imagine, like, can you imagine you're like approaching a crag and you're like, oh man, this is, this is so amazing. You look over, you just see all these flies all over this dead carcass. Yes. You're like, oh, yeah. wow, this is, Splat. this is fucking, this is going to yeah. be interesting, you know? Um, yeah. So... But yeah, I was the only one that got to see that. And, par- and when I told everybody, they were like, "What? I didn't get to see that. That's so exciting." And I was like, "I don't know. I just got lucky on my t- my turn my time around." But I got one of the best compliments that I've ever gotten from a climbing partner. My friend Matt, who's my lead climber, came up to me afterwards, and he was like, "I'm really Im-. both him and Joe. Joe was our acted as our guide, and he is a friend of mine that I met then. I didn't know him before our vis- our my visit to Red Rocks." And he has been climbing since he was eight. And he's climbed everything from Yosemite Big Wall, aid climbing, to he's attempt, he has done ice do climbing. Mean, doesn't, what do you mean by Big Wall? Big Wall. So in Yosemite, El Capitan. He's climbed mm-hmm. on El Capitan, That's which like is the, like the biggest wall in the world. Yeah, to it's climb like the, on. it's one of the, so in, in the pinnacle of people's climbing careers, um, Yosemite is essentially where climbing one of the places climbing kind of really took off you know i don't mm-hmm. want to say that it's the place where it started because it, it, climbing kind of started in a bunch of different places i don't worry about that thing um climbing kind of started in a bunch of different places you know and it just evolved into different pl- in, into different things and you know people contributed and it eventually became this thing um but Climb- you know, yosemite is the mecca yeah, yosemite there was a um thing called camp four where people stayed back in the early 60 50s 60s 70s and uh it's where a lot of the evolution took place and people started establishing these things what they call big wall climbing where you're on the rock for a considerable amount of time Mm -hmm. and you know you're you're hauling up all your gear Mm -hmm. you know that you need in order to stay so it was there was this guy i think warren harding um i think it was in that movie on uh what was it um valley uprising Mm -hmm. where back in the 50s and 60s no one had even climbed el cap they were just they would they would go up during the day they would come down at night and then they would go all the way back up now we're talking three thousand feet you know so he would leave these these things called pitons, which I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie fucking Vertical Limit or whatever the fuck that shit's called, where you know he he has a gun and he shoots this thing into the fucking ride, a bunch of bullshit. But um, basically, what they were doing was they were just hammering or hammering. Ham- they were hammering um, these pieces of metal into the rock, and then they which would is just very come controversial. Down. Yeah, it is very st- even to this day still it, controversial. It was very controversial summer. because he he had a rivalry, Warren. Warren Harding had a rivalry with another climber, and I forget his name at this uh, moment. And I... Warren Harding placed pitons, and he was the first person to place pitons across El Capitan because no everybody up to that point w- climbed with the rock. Royal Robbins was his name. I don't want to disrespect him. Royal Robbins was his name. He yeah. was another pioneer. Yeah. And basically what happened is that Warren Harding was the I'm going to climb this and we're going to do it my way type of guy. He was a rogue climber. Um, and then Royal Robbins was the um, aesthetic, clean, upright, preserve ethical, Preservation. Con- yeah. Preserve the rock at all costs. Leave no trace. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Royal Robbins actually went up behind Warren Harding and clipped and cut all of his pitons. And then about halfway through the climb, he was like, wow, this really makes the climb better. (laughs) He came off the wall going, 
Harding had a point and, uh, but that was beginning of, um, basically bolting rock. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so anyway, so I'm at the that's, top of this, uh, at the top yeah, of that's, olive that's oil. where, sorry, that was a tangent. That's where big wall climbing came from. <laughs> yeah. That's what they meant by that. So my yeah. friend Joe, and, and when you say somebody has done big wall climbing, it is the pinnacle of climbing because you are, it's, it's a, it's an endurance test. It's a mental test. It's there's a lot primarily that, trad. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's the pinnacle of a climbing career in almost every way that you can imagine. Um, Almost every climber in the world wants to travel to El Capitan to climb on El Capitan. And so Joe has done it. He does it once every year, a couple of months at a time. And then he was my lead climber. So I, he was a very confident, very calm climber. He actually helped really set the tone for the climb. It was, I can't, I cannot stress enough how important it is to find mentors that actually know how to climb on real rock and know what they're talking about. Yes. Um, that know what that know what they're talking about. Right. Yes. And I know it's that very, sounds like very, very commonsensical, yes. but yes. you would be surprised at how many people out there claim knowledge that they don't actually have. Well, it's also like they can have the knowledge. They can here's here's the thing. If you're get if you're thinking about getting into climbing, someone can say that they have the knowledge. And they do. But if you do not have the chemistry with them mm-hmm. or you are fearful of their ability to act in certain types of situations, climbing is an extremely selfish and pointless fucking sport. Let's be real. It's completely, it's, it's a, I disagree with that. Well, well, I mean, I mean, pointless from a standpoint of like, what are we, what we're just, we're just, there's obviously, there's like a, a lot of surface perspective from, an a, objective. From, a, from a very objective surface perspective right. outside looking in. Someone's like, this is completely fucking pointless. Like, like bas- mom looking at me climbing is like, like bas- why are you climbing a I mean, wall? <laughs> you could, yeah. And you could say the same thing about any fucking sport, basketball, right. golf, right. fucking surfing. What the fuck's the point of this? Right. Right. But the underlying point is that it's something that we, our soul needs to do that we enjoy. And this is just yeah. what we enjoy. And, but the thing is, is that climbing can be safe. But it's also extremely fucking dangerous if you're doing it with the wrong type of people. Right. And, you know? and there's a long history um, of mentoring young climbers in the climbing community. And there has been up until the proliferation of indoor climbing where a lot of people start climbing indoors and that's their version of climbing. And then they go outside to places like Rumney, which is essentially a beautiful, not under mining at all but a beautiful but outdoor climbing gym where you climb from what you yeah. walk from they say that it's the one crag it's, to it it's a one route it's from a another. climbing gym outside essentially right. you know because it's and perfect so that's why i love it so much who, the rumney association basically purchased this beautiful crag area and for the past i'd say 10 15 years has really been developing it and um establishing wonderful anchors and bolts and keeping it up uh, updated um, keeping it safe for people and people are coming up to Rumney who've never climbed outside and going up these walls. And because Rumney association has taken such precautions to keep this a safe environment, we're not seeing a lot of the danger that can arise out of young beginner climbers thinking that they can just get on a rock. Um, I happened, like I said, in the beginning, I happened to have a friend who was a guide and he was an ama- is an amazing climber. And he was, I learned the respect for climbing from him um, vicariously. And so when I went into the climbing community, I knew that where I wanted to be outside. 
And I knew the type of personality that I was looking for because of this person's mentoring of me. And so I was able to find uh, people who are really, really willing to take me on, out on rock and deal with a beginner. Um, and, and it is, you have to find somebody who's willing to, as a mentor, take the time out of their time to climb to teach a beginner how to climb and be invested in that beginner safety. And there's, you know, it takes a lot of, it's not, it's an unselfish act to do that because people who climb are, they are always goal-minded. They're always climbing for a purpose, um, an internal purpose and for a, for an advanced climber to take time out from their internal purpose so that a beginner climber can begin to climb safely. That says a lot about that relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree. I agree with that. And Um, so that's the type of personality. That's the type of person you want to find. My friend Joe was very much like that. My friend Matt, who was my, my specific lead climber was also very much like that. And both of them, when I got up to the olive at the top of olive oil, were both Joe was like, I'm really impressed by yeah, you. You just, you want to feel safe. You know, you want to feel safe with the people you're with. If, well, and if Joe anything. and Joe and Matt both were like, I got, they were both said to me, you know, that was very impressive. We know people who call themselves climbers that would not have been capable of handling the exposure that you just did. Mm-hmm. So I'm very impressed with you. And it felt really good to hear that. Because both of them were my mentors, you know, and it was, yeah, and you and respect, was, you, yeah, you have the, you have the respect, you know, like at the, and that's, that, this was actually what I wanted to talk to you about was the headspace of, you know, being in like stressful situations and climbing that I find will carry through other a- avenues of life, you know, right. where you have this, like, you have this kind of interesting, um, fear that takes over a large majority of the time, right? So if you take over this, like, I remember the first time, like sport climbing outside, dude, I was fucking scared shitless, you know? And then this year I really started, I just, I, I started feeling more comfortable. Yeah. It's on weird how out, fear affects you because yeah. I started climbing indoor and then I started lead climbing outdoor first and I wasn't afraid. I was far more comfortable climbing. I loved being outside the environment. I felt really confident with truthfully in retrospect, I really was naive is why I felt comfortable because I didn't understand. I was so new to climbing. I didn't understand the different variables that go into falling. Mm. And believe it or not, you know, as climbers, we spend all of our time trying to avoid climbing, falling, but falling, falling is the. It's a pinnacle of what you need to do in order to come overcome fear. Well, it's, it's the large, it's the best teaching tool that you have in climbing. Um, we spend all this time avoiding it, but at the same time, understanding a fall, both as a belayer and as a climber, that understanding, that knowledge is what helps you become a better climber. Mm-hmm. And so as I started lead climbing, I, I, my, my first lead climb was a five, four. And I was like, this was nice. It was easy. I need something more challenging. So I did a five, eight plus. And so, and it was great. I couldn't do that. That first summer when I did that, I let it. And I know my Belair was terrified. I could see it in his face, but I was very comfortable. I didn't understand what that meant if I had fallen. And now I do. And looking back, it was just naivete that got me comfortably through that. Um, so when I went back into the end to climb lead indoor, I was forced to take, not forced, but I had to take a lead climbing class. And so I did. And that's my, that was my first experience with falling on lead entirely different experience. And so 
what it is is basically a free fall until the, your belayer and the rope even out in the system. So your weight becomes even with the belayer's weight, and that stops the mm-hmm. fall. Yep. Um, and it's a it's a it's an interesting if someone's never actually witnessed a dynamic fall or a sport dynamic fall before, like in sport climbing, falls are common. They're extremely common. You mm-hmm. know, common like so much so common, right? With um with trad climbing, you know, you want to avoid falls because it's a little different because you're on protection. You know, you don't you have a little bit more um a little bit little bit different opinion on on falling. Ice climbing. You want to avoid falling. You don't practice most. Most if you know most people that ice climb, they don't want to practice. No. You know, falling on ice. No, you're screwed into gonna, ice. Well, then yeah, it's, it's <laughs> going to create weak points into ice. Yes. Yeah. So there's a bunch of there's a bunch of someone's probably listening to this. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent right, but yeah, someone's probably like, oh, you can fucking practice falling on ice again. I don't know. I don't know. I don't ice climb very much. But well, it's the same concept um, behind trad climbing. Okay, so yeah. the theory is that if you are trad climbing, you should be comfortable enough placing gear that if you had no choice but to fall you're confident that your gear is going to catch you Mm -hmm. okay it's not going to come out and there's tons and tons and tons of studies out there that show how much weight and how much how much weight and how much force each gear can hold the rope can hold the knot that you're tied into can hold Mm -hmm. i mean they do everything is designed for the safety of the climber but ultimately when you're climbing and you're placing gear it's not the gear in any way, shape, or form that ever malfunctions. It's rare if I've not, I don't think I've ever heard all the climbing falls that I've ever researched, all of the accidents I've ever researched, it has nothing to do with gear. It has everything to do with human error. Yeah. Because of it's actually there's human um, error. There's a study in Elder or there's a um, thing in El Dorado Canyon that actually shows you they do studies like that. Mm-hmm. And they show you gear actually coming out of sandstone because right. sandstone is extremely it's, fragile it, exactly it's extremely fragile and it's very it's it's very slick mm-hmm. it's very very slick you right. know and um like right as soon as you walk into el dorado canyon beautiful place colorado beautiful place um but that's one of the things they have at, at one of the places when you go there is they have all that data pulled mm-hmm. up but that's there's no but there's, the gear's not failing but the thing is though is that it there's no there's no there's no 100% way to know, you know, exactly. what happens with climbers, whether it is the gear or whether it, it falls out. You know, this this is what they can speculate in that specific area, what they these these people are doing or the rangers conducting their studies after these climbers have died. Well, right. You know? And the concept behind tribe climbing. So every it's the same idea when Alex Honnold was talking about free soloing. You know, he's like, I can climb a 514, but I'm not going to solo a 514. I'm going to solo well within my grade where I yeah. feel comfortable. Where he practiced for two years. Right. But know. but he also is talking about climbing when you're ta- – so when you're – when the degree of um, potential failure increases when you're climbing, you should decrease your grade. So if you're going to do something that is is as challenging at, as free soloing, which is by far the most challenging form of climbing you can come across, not because of grade, but because of the mental Having mental to compartmentalize to, the fear aspect. Yeah. yeah. And trad climbing, which is just a step below that, you have to understand yourself. You have to know, okay, I'm comfortable within this grade. The likelihood of falling or failing... On, 
uh, this high grade is not worth climbing that grade. It's worth climbing within my grade because the potential for death is there. Yes. So that increases, mm-hmm. you decrease your grade. Um, and that's why with, with sport climbing, like getting back to if anybody's ever seen someone fall, you know, where the belayer goes flying up into the wall because someone takes a 30, 40 foot fall, like we're with, with, Sport climbing, what you have to do is you go up to bolt one, bolt two, bolt three, bolt four, and most routes are anywhere between eight to 12 bolts. But the guidebook, you know, that's a, that's, that's like on average again, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to vary from, that's going to vary from place to place. You know, someone out there is like, oh, it's fucking 15, 16, you know, whatever. But on average, you know, when you're sport climbing, some of these bolts can be very, they can be, have a considerable distance between each other when you're outside you know when you're in a gym you know they're only about five to six feet apart you know mm-hmm. so you put the rope into the into the quick draw in a gym in a really safe environment go outside you know these bolts are what 15 sometimes 20 30 feet between each other you know and you need I mean, to that's take really them. strong out yeah and you won't find that really at rumney no not at rumney but um, if you're climbing but, if you're climbing outside of Rumney in New Hampshire, especially, you will find that, yes. Yeah. And that's why um, you know, if you if you see someone take a fall, it's really like I mean shit, even when we're in the gym, you know, we see people that are like, Oh my god, what what the fuck is that? You know, someone takes like a fifteen foot fall where they're just working this section. It's like falling is entirely common. And mm-hmm. that's a thing that you that you have to be very used to when you're getting into it, is that fear of falling where what I've been trying to do is get through stress proofing where as I'm going up, my arms are so pumped to the point that I don't like, I need to compart like, um, getting back to that fear aspect. I need to compartmentalize that fear of being so scared of not like falling, but not that I'm going to actually make the clip. And so that's what I've been trying to practice is that when I come to a certain section on a wall where I see a clip, like just, get over just really sit with that fear for a second and realize that like you're okay your feet are your foot placement's good and everything and if you're gonna fall and you take that slack up and you fall you're just gonna just fucking take the fall you know and just be fine and i think that that aspect of like that that adrenaline you get from being like i'm fucking smiling as i'm saying this like that 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 adrenaline aspect of like knowing that you can potentially fall there's no fucking like because even if you fail even if you fail and fall it's still extremely exhilarating knowing that you tried to progress this far and all you have to do is just pull back up on the rope and try again you know? yeah i mean and that's the thing i i think a lot of people in that climb will will say i think at least every person i've talked to about it the fear is equal part the reason why they climb hmm. um fear is a spectrum so when climbing, you're never, ever going to reach a point when you are not afraid. You will reach points where you can compartmentalize that fear and push yourself past a barrier. Um, and then you have freaky people like Alex Honnold, whose brain under MRIs just doesn't register fucking fear. flatlining. Yeah. But even he, he makes a decision to climb something based on the potential for death. If I climb, you know, he's climbing 514s. Let's say that's... That's the highest he's climbed grade wise, but he's climbing five elevens free yeah. soloing. And I mean, he's even he's even said that on a scale of one to ten, like if ten is max effort, you know, 
your sport climbers like fucking Adam Andra and Chris Sharma mm-hmm. are at they're like on a they're at like an eleven or twelve. Right. You know, and they're gonna consistently fall because they need to be that high volume as a sport climber, right? Where somewhere like Alex Honnold is like ninety nine percent of where he's at is anywhere between a three to a six. He's yep. not he's not when free soloing. When free soloing, he's right. not going like But he does yeah, because yeah. only when he's free soloing, um, is he reducing the uh, reducing the potential for death mm-hmm. purposely yeah um but that's the thing is like fear was something that when i got into climbing was something that i really had to learn to grapple with and i still do but you know there are every day i do something when i'm climbing and i'm like oh a year ago this was terrifying to me and today it's no big deal which is hilarious because Honnold says that all the time. No big, oh, deal. no big deal. No big, no big deal. deal. Honnold. Don't worry about it. It's um, cool. You know, but each day I'm reminded of something like, you know, topping out on a boulder. It used to terrify me. Now I do it, you know. Mm. Um, or climbing. I've recently gotten back to the point where I can climb, you know, six or seven leads, lead climbs in a row. It used to be that going up one was terrifying for me. Yeah. After I, that- I started doing my lead class fall, which gets me back to my original point, which was when I did my lead class fall, on my lead class, I had to purposely fall. And it wasn't until I had to purposely experience falling that I understood falling and its relationship to the climber and to the belayer and how important it is to learn how to do it right. And it's not the first time I've experienced that. You know, falling is is an important thing in many different sports that I've, I've been in. Um, but in particular, this one, because for a couple feet or more, you're free falling. You are literally free falling. And even though you consciously are aware that the rope will catch you and you hope that your belayer was smart enough to not have, you know, to be belaying smart. Or talking or doing any distracting things. Right. I mean, all the variables come together perfectly. It's going to be a safe fall most of the time. Um, But there are like this summer when I was lead climbing five eights, you know, I was lead climbing five eights because it's well within my 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 grade, well within my climbing abilities, right? But then like halfway through the summer, I realized something really important about it. And a lot of people will tell you this that do have done a lot of lead climbing. Five eights have the most dangerous falls hmm. because five eights are typically chunky, ledgy climbs. Yeah. And Ledgy means that you're gonna deck. You could deck out. You can deck out. The or climbing you, or might you be can, easy, you can but fall. if you slip, you're gonna hit rock. That's that's what happened out. No matter in, how good your belayer is. Yeah, that's what happened. Shit, that's how Alex fucking a uh, friend of mine, Alex, uh, how his rope actually got destroyed was on a five eight. Mm-hmm. And when he climbed up, there was this serrated part of rock, and it scared the fuck out of me because. As he was, I, I'm literally looking at this rope and there's there's nothing I can do if he falls, right? Because he's up and I, 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 I tell him, I'm like, hey, dude, stop for a second. Like, stop. Like, I'm going to take for a second, chill out. And so he, he stops, right? And it was, I think he was at like the sixth or seventh bolt. And I don't remember what climb it was, but the, he's got a really nice sterling rope, right? And so he... I forget what the hell happened, but we were at the end of the climb. He had a 60 meter rope and he was at the very edge of the climb. And I look at him and I go, dude, do you feel confident finishing this? And he's like, yeah, I feel good. I'm like, well, I'm letting you know that if you fall, there's the potential for this fucking rock to completely serrate the rope. So I don't know if I have you. And he's like, well, he's like, dude, I think I can finish it. I'll be good. Just be very careful lowering me. 
So he goes and he he sends the root. And again, like you were saying, these e- these easy roots. I've 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 done you know five five tens outside all day, no issue with the rope being destroyed. These harder roots that are within my grade outside right now, but then here we are in this easy five seven five eight that has this really serrated rock because the way that it it went was it goes up straight vertical and then it goes a little into this like lip towards mm-hmm. towards the rock a little bit and then it goes straight vertical again but where the rope was was it was rubbing up it was just this sharp ass fucking piece of rock mm-hmm. at the very edge of his rope i was lowering him and it 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 yeah it got caught the the fucking rope for some reason got caught on that rock and serrated like the last 10 feet of his rope and so we looked at it and that's when I had a friend end up looking at it and I was like, Hey man, like, can we, can we climb on this? He's like, dude, this is a, this is a bad fucking tear in the rope. He's like, yeah. this is not good. And that was like one of the first things that scared the fuck out of me because if he would have fallen, I don't know if, if I had him and we had to, we have to communicate on something that's such an easy climb. Like, Hey, do you feel comfortable finishing this? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what requires you know, to be with the good people that, that you climb with in the community. And even like with Alex having me on certain routes, you know, um, I've been up five nines that are just really run out and I'm screaming. Like I'm fucking legitimately screaming at him because I'm so scared and he's totally cool. Like yeah. he's just like yeah, super, super, yeah, he's, he's yeah. like super chill. He's like, dude, don't worry, man. Like I got you, man. You know? And then I'm, I'm, I cut, he lowers me afterwards and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I don't <laughs> yes. mean to, I don't mean to be, yeah, I don't, shame. yeah. I'm like, I'm like, dude, I am so sorry. I, I don't, I don't mean to of, fucking be like that. Yeah. I had that moment out of Red Rocks. Um, I had done olive oil, which was a lot. And then, you know, the next day, Matt, my climbing partner, my mentor was like, Obviously, he had a lot of confidence in my abilities. I didn't at that time. And so he really wanted to push it. And he's relentless. That's the thing about Matt is he's just relentless. He just he sees something and he's going to go for it. And he's going to go and go and go until he gets it. And he's and he's an he's an athlete. Whereas I was out there going, oh, my God, this is this entire experience. Just climbing outside in Red Rocks is just an entirely new experience for me. So everything was new. And so the psychology of being immersed in this entirely new experience, you get a little overwhelmed. Oh yeah, for sure. And so Matt was, Matt wanted to get a classic. It was a sport multi-pitch done. Um, and it's a classic out in Red Rocks. I can't remember what it was. Very popular, um, route. And he wanted to do two. So we, and the thing was about the second route was that, Nothing about it that freaked me out more than the fact that it was hanging belays. And a hanging belay is when you are attached to the anchor and you cannot, you are not standing on a ledge. You are either wedging your feet up against the ledge. So you're kind of leaning into your, um, your harness or you're just straight up hanging. You're just straight up hanging in midair. Right. Yep. You're, and it was just mm-hmm. that, that was going to really throw me over an edge and it did. <laughs> Pun and edge. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So um, so he wanted to do two classic climbs, and I told him if the first one went well, then we could do the second one, Um, even though I really didn't want to do the second one. So the first one went really well. It was really awesome. It was a great climb. That was a trad multi-pitch, um, other than having a Canadian French climber. I don't even know if he was Canadian. I don't think he was Canadian. I think How he was How dare French. you? How dare you? Yeah, How I know. dare you? I'm just he, kidding. He, they were like – 
this second group behind me was like, literally, had I had I taken a fall, my legs would have wrapped around his face. That's how close he was to me. Jesus it was Christ. so rude. I've shared some anchors with people before. Yeah, it's a but that wasn't even anchor. That was climbing. That was Ooh, stemming up a trad route, cleaning gear as I go, and I have these people behind me who are just being who are just being douchey. Up they in your just, shit. Like, yeah, let's legit- go. Legitimately, dude. I like, fucking hate. Yeah, see, like within a leg's length away from me. If you're gonna if you're gonna get into climbing, the thing is, is just have ethics. Have ethics. Give people give space. People, give people space. You know, don't rush. And, don't rush because that's how accidents just happen. Be, yeah, not just that. It's not about you. It's about the rock. It's I about mean, the and experience. then well, then you can even also make the debate. Or make the argument for people that free solo because like free soloing is I don't know how I feel about it because the thing is is that there's a video online of a guy who was free soloing and these people there was a guy that was following you know he he had already he's he's anchored he's anchored in he's got his GoPro on right there's this guy that's a free soloer you can tell that he's a little Uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for him. Free soloing is and uncomfortable. You can tell, well, that's the, well, that's the thing is that you can tell that the guy's really like, I don't know. I don't know if I would I would trust this guy. But the thing is, is that free soloers like they have. I feel like they have the right of way. But the problem is, is that if they fall and you have you're leading a climb up top and they fall and they come down on you, that's creating more danger, right? Mm-hmm. And then also the fact is that if you have a climber who's cleaning or doing something and they're coming up behind you have a free soloer you don't want to you don't want to scare them and you you want to you want to do what's ethically right for them to make sure that they're going to be safe but here you are in this situation where it's like I'm fucking scared being tied into this rock mm-hmm. there's a guy free soloing right next to me what do I do does right. he have the right of way do I take on my on my climber and what do I do you know and most of the time they can't. They can't rest at the. It's it's difficult. It's difficult yeah. situation. It's a difficult situation to be confronted with because you can see these guys that are that are like there's yeah. a route to his left and there's another route to his right and the guy's got a GoPro on, but the free soloist comes up and you can tell that he's like sh- his hands are shaking. I don't remember what the video is called, but his hands are shaking, and as he goes up, like they just give him the right of way, but. Hypothetically speaking, let's say you go and lead right after that, and there's like you don't place gear for 15 feet, like you know, free. I, I hey, I I think free soloing super cool, but I also don't know if if I would ever endorse it. You know? Right. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, no, I don't. I don't. Nobody should endorse free soloing. Period. I've had people. Honold free- does enough endorsement for it, and yeah. even Honold. I mean, but I mean, anyway, so here I was climbing up this, this multi-pitch and I had these people right up my, literally right up my ass and it was just uncomfortable. But when we came down, we decided to do the, the sport climb and it's extremely popular climb and there was nobody waiting for it in line. Like the really popular climbs in Vegas will have lines of people. You have to get out early. And so we were out there early enough that we didn't, we were not behind anybody on this. And so, um. He just, we decided, well, he convinced me to do it. And I was like, I, I really didn't want to do it. Again, didn't want to do the hanging belay. I felt like it was just going to be over the top for me. So we ended up um, starting the climb. And because I was just so kind of set against it, the, the getting up and over the first 10 feet of the climb was the hardest part of the climb, it was the crux at the beginning. Um, and it was the crux, the crux is the section that is the hardest 
Yeah. So the, the crux is what grades the climb. Yeah. So like if you could you're you could have you could be on a climb that is five nine plus, okay, or five eleven, whatever. The whole climb is not five eleven. It's not sustained as a five eleven. You get to a certain point or different points, and each one of those points on the climb is called a crux because it's five eleven climbing. It's that hard. Yeah, it's like the hard the hard section. It's the heart of the climb. Yeah. So the heart of this climb was getting on it and getting out over this one particular spot. And as I was working on this, you know, he was up on the first at the anchor and he was belaying me up and there was groups of people congregating and being under the pressure under all these eyes to get this done and not even wanting to be on the climb in first place really was a mental block that I had to just get through. So I got through the crocs. I get up to the first, the first pitch and that's like, how are you doing? And he's, and I was just like, I just want to get this over with. Like I was so, I was so angry and so frustrated that I found myself on a climb that I didn't want to be on because I felt as if it was yet another example in my life where I had followed the whims of another person rather than making a choice for myself mm. and being my own agent. Um, and so I was really angry at myself for being in a position where I didn't want to be and not being firm enough on saying no. You're not, you don't have any control essentially. Right. Well, yeah. And also, but allowing myself to be at the moment, I felt that I was coerced into this. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the stance I was taking in my mind. And so I was really angry about it. And so it was a very tense exchange between us, my climbing partner, Matt, and I. And right before he went to, cl- went to climb on and start placing to lead the last couple of pitch, last pitch, he goes, he looks at me, he's like, so you got me? And I was like, well, what the fuck else choice do I have? <laughs> and he just looked <laughs> He at just me. looks at you and he goes, uh. He didn't say, nope, he didn't, he didn't even do that. He was the perfect climbing partner. He just looked at me. Shook off his, the extra chalk on his hands and climbed, and he didn't judge. He didn't get mad. He didn't react. He didn't respond. It was perfect. Um, because <laughs> I love that exchange between people it was the most that. perfect exchange ever. Because he was so calm and so collected, and I was so not. And I was just close, literally close to tears. I was fighting tears back. And I realized I was on this belay, right? That was a hanging belay. It was described as a hanging belay in the guidebook, and it's not a hanging belay. Okay, first of all, first and foremost, it's not. I've experienced hanging belays since, and it's not hanging belay. My feet were permanently affixed to the wall. I was just leaning into my harness, which I guess could arguably be called a a hanging belay, but it's not. And so once I got comfortable climbing, I got through that belay station, I realized that anchor station, I realized that it was a really fucking good climb. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) thank God I have a climbing partner that's like, that no, understands and you knows have this. your it's well psychological within, Right. It yeah. was well within my climbing capabilities. Even the crux was well within my climbing capabilities. I was just in a mental place, a headspace where it you have was like a little bit of a me. Yeah, you have like a little bit of a mental, mental, yeah, mental a, thing to overcome. I had a little bit of a yeah. – I was overwhelmed, plain and simple. I was just yeah. overwhelmed. Everything that I was doing for seven days straight was overwhelming because it was an entirely new experience. And as you've already said, I dived into climbing. So the climbing experience that I had in Red Rocks, a lot of people don't have until they're like two or three years into climbing. Well, what did you learn? What did you learn from diving in? Dive, well, that trip, that like that moment after the seven days, what did you, what did you really, um, did you well, like explore a little bit about yourself? Number one, or? I realized that the dynamic between partners is essential to the success of both individuals. Like a lot of people claim that climbing is this individualistic sport, which on one level it is, but ultimately the success of a climber 
is also the successfulness of the relationship between climber and belayer. Totally agreed. Like mm-hmm. Matt, the reason why I wasn't a successful climber was because Matt was well aware of my claim. First of all, because Matt was an intuitive teacher, first of all, and patient. Second of all, because Matt really understood where I was at climbing grade wise, not just grade wise, but like psychologically. Um, and because Matt is an athlete, I mean, he went to Ohio State on a full scholarship for tra- on trail running. So he's mm-hmm. an athlete. He's really got that athletic mind. He's relentless in the pursuit of his goal. And I really was forced to either adopt that persona or that perspective or to not. And if I had not, I would not have had the experience I had. So the first thing that I, ex- I understood about climbing on that trip was it's essential that you pick the right partner um, for all the success for both people. And two, that fear will never not be a component for climbing, ever, never. It will never go away. It never subsides. It never goes away. It's just that when you are doing anything that you love that involves fear, you have to be capable of acknowledging that you you work with fear, not against it. Fear is there for a very specific purpose, evolutionarily speaking, and that is to keep you alive. And sometimes it's irrational. Yes, we all have, you know, we, we have rational fears, but sometimes it's very rational. And when you are climbing on a wall with rope, every type of fear you experience is technically rational because mm-hmm. it is an it's irrational real. sport. Yeah. You know, like it's way out to your safety zone. But then you get to this point where you can start measuring and understanding in climbing what is rational and what is irrational. So, for example, I get on this hanging belay, right? This alleged hanging belay. And I realize that the reason I'm afraid is not that I'm hanging out in midair. It's because I don't trust yet my gear. Like the entire time I'm belaying, I'm focusing on making sure that my climber is safe. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm going, well, what if the carabiner breaks? Or what if the, what if I didn't tie this knot appropriately? Or what if something where I'm putting all my weight and all my force on is going to give out on me at this one moment? And so, you know, that's irrational. The, the, that is an irrational fear. The gear was basically new. Matt and Joe and myself went over all the gear that we used. Um, we checked all of our ropes. We double checked ourselves going up on the climb, meaning we checked each other's knots. We checked each other on the belay, on the, um, the Grigri, which is the belay device that we used. We checked each other. We had enough gear to get us up and over. We checked everything we could. We double checked each other to the best of our abilities. So there was no, the fear that I had was in that moment irrational. And that's what climbing at Red Rocks and climbing in general has really helped me I think the most is being able to identify what is rational and what is irrational. So rational fear is free soloing. That's rational. It is rational to be afraid of that because it's primarily the most dangerous way of climbing. I mean, it is the most dangerous way of climbing. Um, it is the number one way that climbers die. They free mm-hmm. solo. Yep. Um, and there you go. That's right. Right there. Your potential for death is massively increased because guess what? You're on a wall and you don't have rope. In many ways, it's not just irrational fear. It's also kind of stupid. But whatever, that's judgmental and we'll stay away from that. Yeah. But climbing in itself has really taught me how to identify rational and irrational fear and then to take it a step further and understand where those fears 
are growing from. So in a way, climbing has really helped me become friends with the fear that I hold inside of myself. Um, you which live in a different me, relationship with fear. Right. And for me, that's personally, that was a profound um, experience is developing a different relationship with fear for personal reasons. You know, fear. It's cool. Has always. The microphone just tipped over. No worries. It's has cool. always been one of those things that those variables in life that prevented me from personally achieving things. And so climbing has really helped propel me and catapult me through um, those obstacles, fear as an obstacle. Um, but Red Rocks really helped me identify specifically and evaluate myself as a climber. And also I had climbers that I was with, you know, with various levels of experience. Joe, who acted as our guide, I, I had immediate and unquestionable faith in his judgment out there. He went out there. He went out. To, he went to school for guiding out there. He spent years climbing at Red Rocks. He was able to guide us through areas that doesn't look like there's a trail. Um, and so I had faith in his ability to do that. And that's the third thing that I've learned is to have to choose the people that you climb with wisely and then to give them your faith and your trust. Trust is essential because if you can't trust the person that is holding the rope for you, you cannot be capable of understanding what is rational and irrational fear because it's just it's just, if you don't have the trust in your partner, then you just, that lack of trust is just, it just shreds your ability well, then you're to gonna climb. Be, this, these extremely dangerous things, you're going to be questioning what they do the entire time. And that's well, how and that's, that, that friction, you don't want that friction. Right, place, exactly. You know? And when, and I have, I, you know, Joe, Amy, and um, this new climbing partner that I have, I would trust these three people wherever they took me, mm -hmm. climbing, yep. wherever. Ever I've had to me. I've had to make my you that's a whole different topic but I've had to make my circle smaller not it wasn't even climbing related you know this person taught me something but just the way in which their fight or flight system works is completely selfish mm -hmm. it's completely selfish and I don't want I don't want that a similar situation like that where someone's going to be in denial of something or they're going to be in a in a headspace where they can't take responsibility or they can't take criticism for the excuse me, for the things that they do, mm -hmm. you know, if you're climbing with someone, you need to be, you need to be open about like doing stuff wrong. Right. You need to be open to the aspect of like the things that you're setting up or, or, or incorrect. Like even, even, even when we were ice climbing, you know, that's why like getting back to checking your gear every single fucking time you climb, check your stuff. Even if it's in the gym, even if you've been climbing with this person for a really long fucking time, I was out ask I or out in uh, Ure. I someone that was an experienced or I had not saying any names, but someone that I, I asked them like, "Have you climbed before?" And they said, "Yes, I have." And I'm like, "Okay, so do you know how to do the figure eight knot?" And they're like, "Yes, of course." I was like, "Okay, cool." They tied the knot completely incorrectly, and they tied it through their belay loop, which obviously it would more than likely still hold them because we're only doing top rope, but the knot wouldn't have held them if they fell. Right. You know, and I told him, I was like, well, you need to go through both portions of your harness in order to be okay. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the correct way to do it. That's the way that I've been taught. That's the way I've always done it. And the one time I didn't check, you know, that one time I didn't check because I was so, I was tired. 
I was just like, oh, fuck it, dude. Like, I, and then I just was like, oh, I should probably check. And I was like, hey, is your not good? And then they were like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, shit. Well, it was tied incorrectly. It's just mm-hmm. because this person has climbing experience, but it just, if you don't use it, you lose it. People make know? mistakes too. Yeah. People com- become complacent. But that's like, for me, climbing has has changed my relationship with fear. And I have always been a very independent almost to a fault human being that has had to learn how to accept help from people um one of the things about climbing that has really helped me grow as a human being is the fact that i have developed friendships with people that when we're climbing as much as i'm some most of my climbing partners i'm older than them and when we're out climbing they i am utterly at their disposal i follow their directions to a t i don't question what they have to they say to me unless i i unless something in your head is going off that's a red flag right and i and with the people that i climb with it has not i've never been in a setting with the people that i have chosen hand selected for my own reasons Mm -hmm. to climb with outside i've never been put in a situation with them where i felt that i was uncomfortable with their with any of their their um choices um but that's the other thing is like i've placed my trust and my faith to into their and into their experience i give to them my whatever you want me to do i will be there i will be the best student that you you can i will if I'm afraid for myself and I'm with this climber that's teaching me something, I will set aside for my fear that it helps encourage me to set aside my fear even more because I'm there to learn from that person. And that forces me in those settings to have an open mind mm-hmm. because I have an open mind. It's like a sponge and I succeed. But that dynamic is something that, you know, I've only experienced in one other a- avenue of my life. Um, and then climbing, it's really been a pivotal growth, um, a pivotal point in my growth as a human being is that it's very difficult for me to trust people and climbing is all about trust. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Sele- one of the very, one of the very, like you can, you can be on a basketball team and like your teammate is obviously, you know, like this person's hogging the ball or something like that with climbing. Oh no, you need to, you need to be hundred. Yeah. You need to have good groups of people where I've, I've had, I've had experiences with people where I, I don't, um, yeah, I don't trust them, but, uh, yeah, let's, let's, we're going to wrap this up here in a little bit, but I just have a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Um, so do you have any future climbs that you want to go to or like, cause, cause climbing is obviously, it's a beautiful thing cause it allows you to travel, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So do you have any future areas you want to explore? Um, I really obviously want to get out to Yosemite and do some big wall climbing. That's something I definitely want to do. What's something you want to do this year? Um, There are some climbs on Mount Willard that I want to get done. Some couple on Humphreys that I want to get done. They're trad climbing. Um, There is a climb that the last climb of my outdoor season uh, was supposed to be a lead climb and I didn't complete it. Because I was not in the right, I, I wasn't a climbing situation. I just wasn't in the right headspace going into that setting. So next year, that's first. That's my first tick. It's a climb at Romney called Genco. That's a five nine plus, I believe. If it's not a five nine plus, it should be a nine plus. Five nine is this anomaly in the grading system? Let me just put note here. It is yes. For those of you who don't understand, so like we mentioned before, five point zero get a rope, 
you're going to need a rope to stay safe. 515, you know, that's Adam Andra. That's like the, that's that's Sharma. That's Adamandra, like that's, that's like one. Climbers. That's like people you could count on your hand. Yeah. So, but for the longest time in the history of climbing, there was no grade higher than five point nine. And so, a lot of root setters were putting up these grades, these climbs, and grading at five point nine. Now, that's fine and dandy, except for the fact that five point nine can be at today's grading system a ten A an eleven. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be less than that. So now you have this one little thing called a 5.9 plus. This plus is like your entree into the the large, the bigger climbing grades, right? So this plus tells everybody who has any climbing experience that if you get on a 5.9 and it says 5.9 plus, you're in for a shit show. You're in for- You don't know what's happening. Yeah, you have no idea. Right. You don't know if this is going to be a 10A. You don't know if this is going to be a 10B. You don't know if this is going to be less than a 5.9. Because this 5.9 has been here for the last 30 years. This was established in the 70s and no one has- Anything above 5.9 then. Yeah. So that's another reason why climbing grades are so subjective is because you can get on a 5.9, you can have a true 5.9. Well, by that, I mean, you can have today's standard of a 5.9 where you have something beyond that. Or you could have a 5.9 that at some point, some root setter was like, ah, fuck it. I don't even know what we could call this, but we're going to put a 5.9 on it because that's the highest grade we have right now available to us. So Genco at Rumney was a nine, I think it's a nine plus and the climbing as well within my grade. And I remember, you know, it just, I got to this point. Uh, and the climbing, and I was just like, I can't do this. And I didn't have it in me to overcome that fear that moment. So I wouldn't call it a project. I have no doubt in my mind that as soon as it gets really nice out, I'm going to go to Genco and I'm going to lead it. And it's going to be a, fine. If you need a belayer, you know, and to take photos. Just saying, okay. Saying. But, um, you know, it's not a project in the sense where, like, there's there's what we call projecting, where you take a, a climb that is outside of your typical grade and you work you train for that climb, you work or you work out extra, you cross train for that climb. That's what I'm doing. And then you yeah, project it and you keep climbing it and you fall and you keep climbing and you fall and you keep climbing and you fall. That's a sport climb project. And that's how you progress. Right. That's and that is also how you project yeah. progress. This is not a project in the sense where it's like athletically demanding. It's a mental project. I just need to get it done and over with because I, I should have had it done last year. Um, so that one is definitely on my um, list of things to do. But as far as like some real goals for this summer that I really want to do, I want to get out on Canon and do some multi-pitching out there. Um, mm-hmm. Moby, is it Moby? Oh. Whitney Gilman. Whitney Whit- Gilman Whitney and Moby Grape. Yeah. Um, those two are two that um, Amy and I have talked about doing together and I think would be fascinating. If you need a photographer, just let me know. You know? Yeah, but you don't should get, definitely come up with I'll, I'll, I'll go. Just don't get angry at me if I'm belaying you and I'm taking pictures at the same time. <laughs> Assisted braking devices are great. Just kidding. Totally joking. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't listen to what I'm, yeah, don't listen to what um, I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I really want to get out on Canon because the last climbing partner I had was like, um, you know, don't go out on can- don't go out on Canon because, <clears throat> you know, it's got a lot of loose rock. And then I had my other climbing partner was like, "Hey, have you been out on Canon?" And I said, "No." And so you've got these two different people. Well, and I yeah, and this, telling you two and different this particular things. person that the second person I was talking to has a significant more, way more experience, especially on Canon, than anybody else I know. And he and he specifically said to me, "Yeah, the rock is shady." sketchy well yeah i mean the old man of the mountain fell down you know on certain areas that aren't climbed regularly Mm -hmm. he's like but the areas that are climbed regularly and there are areas on canon that are climbed regularly they are very safe well as safe as a multi-pitch climb can be on canon but um 
for those of you who don't know, Cannon is um, Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire. Um, it's a it's a ledge that is fantastic. Some of the tallest climbing in New Hampshire. Actually, the tall one of the highest things that you can climb in New England. In New England, yeah. but not, not the, I wouldn't say the Northeast, but New England itself. Yeah, but it is unfortunately got some rock that is still exfoliating so you know it's dangerous in the sense that you could be climbing and rock comes off um but also it's dangerous because you could not be climbing and there's a boulder that just lets loose on you like and that's the lat that's not what when you hear rock or ice just yeah just fucking prepare for shit to go down because (laughs) i've had i've had people at rumney sport fucking sport climbing where we just did, it was a multi-pitch route that we were supposed to do. And, oh man, this fucking guy, he's a nice guy. He's a good good dude, but he lied. He completely fucking lied about his ability to build anchors. And all I wanted to do was to do the first pitch. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was a 10B climb, right? So I had my camera with me. For those of you listening, I'm super stupid nerd for photography, right? Well, this guy was doing what we call doing it doing it for the gram you know he's doing it for his instagram and so he had climbed he had climbed and led the first pitch right which was fine he set the anchors up correctly or the two quick draws and we were like dude we don't feel comfortable climbing with you getting back to climbing with people that you can trust yeah the person that i was climbing with at the time we didn't feel comfortable climbing with him so he set in he set in the draws up top you know, put the rope through the draws and that's going to be our, our top rope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll just, we're going to lead it afterwards. You know, we're going to go up and, and clean and everything. Well, partner goes up second time and this guy's looking at the camera. He's distracted. He's not listening. I told him, I was like, dude, put the camera down. Like there's a loose rock up there. You know, I would, I would rather have you pay attention. So as I'm lowering my friend after he had just sent it and he had cleaned the route, he dislodges a rock it was the first time i had ever heard rock rock like fucking rock and all the climbers to my left immediately like fucking hugged hugged the the wall and like prepared and dish like autonomic response kind of type stuff Mm -hmm. right everybody like braced kind of for this fucking rock to fall this guy didn't do shit he's looking at the fucking camera now he had about like a good possibly like four seconds to react Mm mm-hmm and he didn't fucking react. And he's looking at my camera. The rock hit my camera, hit his forearm, almost broke his forearm. But the way that it landed, it missed it by like a good, like maybe, maybe half an inch. Wow. And so as it hit his arm, it it like came across. He's holding my camera like this. I know I can't, I can't fucking show it to people, but he's holding my camera like this. Hits his forearm, bounces off this like other rock, hits like scrapes his forearm, hits my camera, and then just keeps going down the mountain. The rock was about maybe like a good six or seven inches wide. Yeah. And it was traveling like at about, I don't know, fucking gravity, gravity times three, you know? Yeah. For the three to four, yeah, for the three to four seconds that it, 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 you know, wasn't. So that's why it's important to pay attention. And that's why climbing, even if even if you're just climbing, it's still somewhat dangerous. Like that loose rock, you know, dude. It's not. It's no joke. Like we. we I was we, I was on Tropicana, and Amy was belaying for me. And, um, and Tropicana, for those of you who don't know, is on as a route at Rumney. So a, le- a route that's well climbed. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's a well climbed route. Three, yeah, it's like three stars out of three stars. Right. But yeah. we were climbing it and um, there was a loose rock. It wasn't as big as that one that you were telling your story. But, you know, I'm like, I, it was the first time I climbed something and my I fell off because the rock just kind of fell. And I was like, oh, shit, this is yeah. supposed to be a well climbed climb. Dude, so even, allegedly rock is not supposed to come off. Yeah. But I mean, that's just. Even even with ice, they, we were we were observing. We were observing some people where um, this lead climber on ice, he's fucking, he's just no no courtesy for his belayer or the other belayers down. And we're observing this guy and this guy is fucking hacking away at the ice. This huge chunk. He just does this, takes his hand and just rips it off the wall. Oh, it doesn't lovely. doesn't say ice, doesn't say anything. And his belayer is looking straight ahead and all of a sudden he looks up and he just sees this fucking brandy. The amount of people yelling at this guy was insane because like the way Ure, the yeah. the ice park is, is it's like a river. It's like a little mm-hmm. valley. So everybody was fucking was mean mugging this guy. He just grabs it, just pulls it off. This fucking big chunk of ice misses his belayer by like just a few feet. Now it 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 broke apart midair, but that's not always good. That's not always the no. best thing because now now, now you've got more fucking projectiles, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's like super stupid, dangerous. But anyways, um, I'm gonna start wrapping this up. I know you got to get going. So is there anything else you wanted to say? Well, no. was that the only question you had? You had yeah, that you was said it. You had a couple. That was okay. it. No, it was just that. I just didn't know if you had any other future projects. No. But I mean, yes, I do. Those are, but not like specific roots. But those are just yeah, just a couple thing, couple things to challenge yourself this year. I mean, yeah. I love multi pitching. I was just talking. To my, I have a new climbing partner that I've been working with, and again, twenty years experience, a lot of trad experience, a lot of multi pitch experience, and we've been talking about getting out and doing a lot of multi pitching. And that's that's you know, I was telling him, I was like, you know, sport climbing, I like it. I it's fucking fun. love it. Sorry. Love it. But in bouldering, I also love it. have fun with that too. But there's nothing like a multi-pitch. And yeah. especially if it's trad. There's nothing like a multi-pitch because See, I don't, it's I don't, long. It's endurance. You're outside all day long. You yeah. get to a certain point where you're like See, I don't know why. Exhaustion. It's just it's amazing feeling. And then you and you and then you surmount it all. And you come off that mountain, you never felt like you deserved to have life more. <laughs> See, I don't know why. I just I have I have such a different approach to man, we gotta fucking wrap this up. I just I have a yeah, there's the beauty the beauty of climbing is that there's so many different there's so many different avenues to approach it from. I just I love I love fucking training for it and then just projecting roots and falling and then you just like fuck. You know, yeah. you don't you don't I don't scream it when there's kids around. But, you know, sometimes people scream and stuff like that. But, um, hey, anyways, I know you got to get going. So thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Can you do me a favor? Yes. Can you hit the square button on that? Don't worry. I'm going to delete this. Can you hit the square button on the audacity thing? So if you turn it towards you. Yeah. See the little square? Yeah. Right there. Just hit that.